Welcome back. Welcome really back because it's been a hot minute to the Attitude Era Wrestling Review Podcast where today we are doing a very special episode. One that we have been waiting two years for. That's right. We've hit our two-year anniversary and this is the one we've been looking forward to. Had circled on the calendar since day one-ish. Day one-ish, yeah. Isn't that the, isn't that the what do you so say? Day one-ish. As they say it now, <laughs> close enough. Back then, they were saying, wah, wah, me poopy, me poopy. Anywho, yeah, that's right, folks. We're going to be discussing Montreal and the famous, or should I probably say infamous, Montreal screw job, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels for the title in Canada. This ought to be a fun one. But of course, I am your three-time, that's right, folks, it's official, three-time armchair booker of the year. It's been a hot minute. I had to go to the award ceremony. I have my third golden notebook. Woo, go me. And of course, as always, I am joined on assignment, on location tonight, Arnold, the man with the velvet vocal cords, Risperus. How are you doing tonight? Doing fantastic. Been uh, waiting a while to uh, talk about this. Yeah, we took a be we, took, we took a little hiatus, and I think with the way spring works out for at least me, that's going to probably be a yearly thing, at least a month or two off, because I'm I'm working full time now, and I can't work from seven in the morning till four in the afternoon, then go to a ball field for a few hours and have time to do anything else so but we of course tonight are not alone we are joined by the probably either yeah i'd say our most prominent most returning most appearances that's probably a better way to put that guest russ from the infectious groove podcast how are you doing russ not too shabby. This is one of those wrestling moments that's been so talked out, but yet there's still some way to discuss it always. So I'm more than happy to throw my voice in the conversation on this. Should be fun. Well, we're glad to have you. And we are joined by Jason from the Bricked Pit podcast. Jason, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I do have some paperwork I need you to fill out uh, before the end of this, just to turn into the judge over my case. You know, just <laughs> just so they know where I am. Ah, uh, no worries, no worries. We'll sign that release form. Is your ankle monitor beeping? Oh no, I've got it uh, wrapped in duct tape. Ah, so yeah, awesome. All right, well, smart Jason- move. Jason, Russ has been on here before, and our listeners have definitely heard us. Give us a little bit of your history with professional wrestling. Like, when did you get started watching it? Your 
Well, I'm old enough to go back to the old territory days. Uh, I grew up just south of Memphis, so I'm a, a Lawler mark through and through. Uh, but also, the, the great thing about that period of time is, and where I was living is, you know, I was in the Memphis territory technically, but we would occasionally get broadcast over from Mid-South in Louisiana. And so, you know, I grew up with that. I grew up with the, the start of the WWF as a national brand. Uh, both of my grandfathers loved wrestling. Uh, one of them lived on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, so that was Mid-South territory. So every time I visited him, we watched Mid-South. And my other grandfather, every time it was, it was always out of Memphis, always Lawler and, and that group. And it was always interesting to see uh, all the names that passed through there right before Vince started collecting everybody and, and showed, you know, Jimmy Hart started off as a manager in, in Memphis. So, yeah, that's, I, I, I go way back. <laughs> a lot of names went through yeah. both, both those territories. Yeah. But you being so close I remember to when, uh, not to, not to get too far off on that, but I remember when the road warriors used to come out to Iron Man by black Sabbath and mid South wrestling. And then when, uh, when they came over to the, wwf i was like that's the guys but that's not their song because the wwf <laughs> didn't use uh iron man so i remember that all the way back then yeah their iron man pops were way bigger than anything yeah. they ever gotten yeah. w- or a wcw um but jason you'll find this so you said you were from close to memphis for the fourth of july i made a big beautiful rack of rendezvous ribs mm. god i love that place <laughs> Oh yeah, there's uh barbecue and wrestling. Yep. <laughs> and blues. That's that's it for Memphis right there. Those are the three things. Uh, <laughs> pretty much. All yep. right. Well, where to begin? Where to begin? Um I will say that if you've listened to us throughout the years, I can say that now because it's been over two. You will know that this tonight will be the last thing that we discussed that I've never seen before. I started watching wrestling the night after Montreal. If I told the story, I went to school the next day, some guys were talking about it, and I pretended like I knew what I was talking about and went home and asked Mom, could I watch it on TV that night? And How many years? I'm really bad at math. What is it, 26? 26 years? Almost. Yeah, be be right at 26. Almost, yeah. Yeah, 97. Yep, in the fall, it'll be 20. Well, yeah. And here I stand later, stand, sit later, talking about it a lot. So, yeah. So, that's pretty cool. Um, I'll, we'll go around the room. Let's just start off this question. Kind of the same thing I just asked Jason. Jason? Jason. When did you first, hmm, how do I want to figure, I want to phrase this. I don't want to say know about it because i think we all saw you might have all saw it that night but when did the screw job really did you understand what what became what it really was more than just the something happened because that was me even after a few weeks of me understanding wrestling a little bit even kind of behind the scenes stuff a little bit i was learning i kind of knew something was up but i didn't really understand till three or four years later, probably exactly what had, what had gone on, you know, once the internet became a, a big thing. So, um, 
Arnold, let's start with you. When did you first realize exactly what Montreal was? When I first, oh, it it was a while after it happened. Um, I mean, it's something you know you hear about it, and like you know when they do documentaries and things like that. But depending on what you're watching, it doesn't go in depth about what was going on at the time. And um, so you're just like, wow, you know, somebody screwed somebody, you know. And um, I want to say that was probably sometime maybe mid to late ruthless aggression era. But um, the more I learned, it was I was in my 20s. By the time I realized there's more to this than we know. All right. Um, Russ, what about you? So it depends on the depth of which you're talking about. Like, are you asking when we knew that like Brett fully got screwed over or like, or or the moment when we were like, Oh, wait a minute, something weird just happened. Like, because I have two different answers for that is why I'm asking. So like just having watched as much wrestling as I had, even when there's a screwy finish, you always know if it's planned or not because the person who got screwed over or whatever always like super overreacts, you know, like like goes way too far, way further than a person would, right? So that night when we were watching it live, the look on Brett's face when he first rolls over after uh, Sean releases the the sharpshooter, the look on Brett's face is not like like if there was anything near a planned finish that happened, Brett would have instantly like, especially given the fit that he threw on raw recently and all that stuff, he would have like instantly went to like rocking the ropes and uh, you know, uh, running out, running out and throwing monitors and stuff. And he literally just looks like, wait, what? You know what I mean? So like in that moment, I was like, Oh, uh, I don't, something weird happened, but I, I don't mean to presume to sound like, and I, and I knew that Sean was in on it and they had screwed, you know what I mean? But like in the moment that it happened, I was like, wait a minute. Like Brett really looks like he didn't know that that was the finish of this. You know what I mean? So I didn't know the full extent of it till, you know, all the rest of us did a couple of years later until the internet started passing around all the stories it does. But like right that first look on Brett's face, I was like, this, that something's not right here. I totally get that. I mean, if you're just watching it, it's a, if you didn't know anything other than about it, you would think that's a botched finish of some sort because, they're right. ringing the bell, and Brett's still trying to reverse it, and he's grabbing an ankle lock. That, yeah. and that's when mm-hmm. you'd still realize something went wrong. So I yeah. totally see where you're coming from. And then, yeah, later when everything came out, I think everybody went, oh, oh. Right. Yeah. Then we're all like, whoa, and dude. Yeah, and here we are 26 years later. Still talking about it. It's easily yeah. the most talked right. about, the most talked about moment in wrestling history. Yeah, I don't think I'm going too far when I say that. <laughs> All right, no, yeah. no, it's not, and it's it's a seismic shift too for wrestling. Yep, at that time. But uh, I mean, you, like you said, it's been 26 years, and I still don't know if I fully understand it. Uh, it, it really depends on what source you're coming from, you know. Uh, of course, it was the big news after it happened. Uh, news coming out that Brett was going to WCW, but then you know, years later, the Wrestling with Shadows documentary came out, and that that added a wrinkle to it. Then, of course, you know, with the rise of the internet, everybody's you know 
throwing their two cents and everything at it. And it's year after year, you keep getting more information and it depends on who you believe <laughs> on what you understand about what happened that night. Yeah. Right. Um, I've actually never seen the wrestling in the chat or was it wrestling with shadows. Yeah. It? I've actually never seen it. Is anybody else seen it? I know Jason said he has. Yeah, I've watched it. I've heard of it. I don't remember if I've actually watched it or not. I don't think I have. Now, has anybody seen the Dark Side of the Ring episode on the on my yes. mm-hmm. Have you seen that one? If Jason? there if there exists yeah. a piece of media about this uh, about the screw job, I've seen it. Okay. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> um, yeah, that was my um. I texted you earlier and said I was doing some last minute research. I was actually rewatching the Dark Side of the Ring episode. Right. I'm- and we'll get on. We, we can get to that later. But, I'll, I'll watch anything that has Cornette talking about wrestling on it. Oh my God, same yeah. hard yeah. Sam. <laughs> well, just, well, I, think, I don't always agree with him, but that dude can tell a story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's an understatement. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um. Well, we'll get, we'll we'll talk about that later. But you know what? I I just realized something. Everybody that listens to this, they may not completely understand what the Montreal screw job, which is technically a double cross on the screw job, but whatever. We'll not get into semantics here. What it is. So I think we should probably paint a picture of where we are, back up, give a little bit of history into this match, and really kind of start off by telling exactly what happened. Sound good? So I'm going to tell a short synopsis. If I've left anything out, feel free to jump in. All right, let's see. Where are we? Um, uh, Taker was champion. uh, Had a match with Brett. Sean was the referee. Accidentally screws Taker out of the title. Him and Brett hate each other. Yada, yada, yada. Not only on screen, but behind the scenes. Hate each other so much it's not even funny and and not to interrupt you here but i'd say it actually goes back even further than that if you go back to wrestlemania 12 oh yeah i'm not going yeah i'm not going full history but yeah it goes way way back i mean and because that's where the backstage politics really start to heat up and that's really what's at the center of of what goes on to lead up to the to the screw job that's Uh, and it's you know Brett lays down for Michaels in a 60-minute Iron Man match and makes Michaels look really good because at no point was there an actual pin or submission in that match, and it went to sudden death, and then Michaels wins the title. And then he's supposed to drop to Brett at 13, but then in early February says, oh, well, my knee's hurting. I'm not going to be able to do it. And there's a lot of speculation on if his knee was really hurting him that bad or if he just didn't want to do the job. Yeah. I, I wasn't going totally back, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's, well, that's, that's very, very interesting to watch. And especially if you watch the raw where he, he forfeits the title and the infamous, mm. I lost my smile. Yeah. Oh, that was a, we, yeah, we had an episode on that. It was beyond st- stupid. And we've, yeah, we discussed Sean's antics, and I think we all made our points about that one. Um, but yeah, these two hate each other and are taking real pot shots at each other and promos on 
national TV, which gets fun. Hmm. Yeah. So then Vince. Some of those, some of those pot shots were sunnier than others. Oh, <laughs> nice. Very nice. Well, I want to talk about that here in a few too. Uh, but Brett's contract is coming up. It's what's going to happen. Vince makes him a, I believe the re- Brett has said it was one and a half million a year for 20 years. I'm not good at math, but that is a pretty good lump of money in 1997. Especially for professional wrestling. Yeah, especially wrestler. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think it was like the biggest contract at the time, a guaranteed 20 year contract. Even if Brett retired from in ring, he was guaranteed work at WWF in some capacity. But if you, what about a month or so later, Vince realizes, eh, can't really afford this one. So he lets Brett out of it, gives him a chance to. Go over to say, hey, um, Mr. Bischoff, interested? And, of course, he opens up Ted Turner's checkbook and says, yep, come on over. So we've got the little problem of your champion who thinks way too much of himself is leaving. The guy you want him to drop the belt to, he absolutely loathes and hates. And we've got a meeting on his last night, and we have no idea what to do. Hence, ah, that's when the story gets interesting, folks. So let's just let's talk about that night. They get to the main event. There was only two people around there that had any idea of what was going to happen. Well, really, only one from what we've, what we've been what I've heard, and somebody correct me if this I'm wrong. But it it depends on the source because there's a lot of people that says Pat Patterson was involved in a meeting beforehand, and you know people say Hebner knew about it beforehand. Hebner says he only knew about it ten minutes beforehand. So, you know, uh, as I believe Jim Cornette loves to point out, wrestlers love to tell stories. Yeah. And so it's always difficult to kind of parse what's true and what isn't in situations like this. I think the only, to me, what I believe, the only people that in that ring that knew was Sean. Now, he was the only person that really knew. Hebner, I think, was told if he gets put in the sharps, if he puts him in the sharps, start ringing the bell. So, I mean, if kind of, I guess he knew, but. I mean, Hebner really wasn't needed because, like like Hebner said, and you can see Vince at ringside, if Earl Hebner never says ring the bell, Vince is yelling ring the bell anyway, and whoever's running timekeeping is going to be ringing that bell. Yeah. But Sean definitely knew, had to. No way around that one. Does anybody... Anybody have any ideas who else? I mean, like you said Pat Patterson, Jason. Anybody else have any idea who else might have known? Somewhere along the way. I know I had mentioned that I watched like every piece of media about this, so I don't remember where I heard this, but somewhere along the way, somebody, it might have been the Dark Side of the Ring, uh, mentioned that they didn't tell Hebner until he was going through the curtain, like till he was on the way. And I, 
I, in my opinion, I don't doubt that Hebner knew the whole time the match was happening, how it was going to end, but I don't think he was like in on it or anything. I truly believe that he was like on his way out and they were like, Oh, Hey, by the way, like this is how this is going to end or, you know, your kids don't go to college one or the other, you know? Yeah, I agree. I don't think Earl was in on it at all. Yeah, yeah I, think I think that guy. I think that guy was put in a very big rock in a hard place, like ten seconds before he had to go out to the ring. Yeah, and uh, let's be honest, with something like this, they would have kept their cards very close to their chest. Because oh, uh, yeah. the dirt sheets were all over the backstage, the locker room yep. area, and they they could not, could not at all jeopardize this getting out because it already leaked that. Brett was leaving for WCW. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you couldn't have this in the Finkel report. No. You know, that's one thing. It's a funny thing that you pointed <laughs> that out about. Uh, it, it already leaked. There's a lot of revisionist history that goes on with this, not just the people that were involved, but there's a lot of revisionist history that goes on with the screw job. And one of them is people are like, uh, oh, and then within a few days, people knew that Brett was leaving for WCW after this. There are signs in the crowd. People yeah. holding up signs that like a very, a very there are <laughs> much of the crowd is very aware that Brett. So it was not a couple of days after this. People knew before this pay-per-view, they no. have signs in the crowd indicating that they know. Yeah. I just watched it like an hour and a half ago. There's a big sign right in front of the hard game that says, Brett, good luck in WCW. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for the memories, Brett. Uh, yeah. Brett, like, well, don't let the door hit you. Like, there's like a bunch of signs like that yeah, they throughout do. the crowd. So it's funny to me when you, I understand that w, WWF does a lot of revisionist history. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I know that. <laughs> no. you know, I, I was at Mania 3 where I assure you there was nowhere near 96,000 or whatever <laughs> amount of people they say there was. Uh, I get all of that, but it's like, you know, this footage exists, right? You know what I mean? Like you have got to stop saying that no people knew about this after because uh, it was something that I watched where they were talking about when Brett went on, um, uh, damn it, the sports show in Canada where he went and he was talking out of turn about how he got screwed over, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, and then everybody knew. It's like, dude, there's signs in the crowd. People knew before Brett opened his mouth about this. And um, Brett just told him a lot more than what they not going to WCW. He told him a lot more than they really ever yeah, realized. Yeah. Exactly. That, that that was also very weird for Bret Hart to do. I mean, a guy yeah. who's a traditional wrestler keeping kayfabe, and you know, suddenly he's airing dirty laundry out on yeah. TV. Right. It, it was an odd, odd thing. I mean, the fact I, that he didn't want to drop the belt was an odd thing too on his way out. Uh, okay, let's give some opinions on that since you brought that yeah. up. Brett yeah, Bret not wanting to drop the belt. Were I mean. Let's go. Are we pro Brett or anti Brett on this? I'm going to say Brett made the wrong choice on that. It is it is tradition that the guy leaving drops the belt. Uh, I, I think it was his ego getting in the way. So I I don't want to lose in Canada. It's like man, you you're not in your hometown of Alberta. You're in Montreal. You're you can't decide not to lose in a country. <laughs> you know that that's taking it too far and i do understand he didn't like sean and maybe if they'd chosen somebody else he may have done it but i think it was very unprofessional of him i still don't think mcmahon of them handled it right either uh, i think there's bad decisions going all the way around but i do believe brett is in the wrong for not dropping the title to michaels okay yep. arnold I was like, yeah i mean i'm 
pretty much in unison with Jason there. Like, I mean, especially at this time, like it's definitely a tradition thing still. Like, you know, we would give somebody flack even today if they're like, well, you're on your way out here and you couldn't even drop the belt. You know, you'd get the same thing. And Canada or not Canada, it's like based on all the stuff we're hearing already, dude, you're going to be on Nitro tomorrow night anyway. So what are you going to do with the belt? There. <laughs> if anything, they could have been like, well, you know, Taker kind of got screwed and let's make a weird last minute stipulation. Sean beats Brett for some reason and Taker gets the belt and then he can just drop it at the next in your house. Like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Russ. I'm going to open this by saying two things. Number one, I've never waffled on anything more in my entire life, literally, than this <laughs> a particular point, uh, whether or not whether or not Brett's in the wrong on this or not. Uh, and two, I'm going to try really hard to not give you a non-answer. I'm going to open that way, and then I'm going to tell you my thoughts on this. So first of all, I think one of the biggest arguments against Brett is the whole misnomer that, for all we know, you're going to be on Nitro tomorrow night. As far as I'm aware, every piece of uh, media that I've seen says that everyone knew Brett wasn't going to be even legally going to be allowed to be on Nitro for like months. So that wasn't an issue. Um, Number two, if I'm going to trust any guy in that locker room with not pulling a Medusa or a Rick rude, uh, you know, and going over and doing something, you know, acting a fool on Nitro just to get Vince back, it's going to be one of two people. It's going to be Mark Calloway. It's going to be Bret Hart. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So like, in those uh, on that side of it, I'm always like, okay, but in that moment, I would have trusted Brett, right? Like if Brett says, okay, but I just don't want to lose it in Canada. Let's wait till I can get to a raw and I'll hand it over to Sean or whatever else. I totally, I, in that moment, I would have been like, yep. Cause it, like I say, there's two guys I would trust with that. And Brett's one of them. Um, And then the other part of my answer has to do with, if you believe again, there's a million stories about this, right? If you believe Brett's version where he went up to Sean and said, you know, I'll always take care of you in the ring and, you know, I'll drop the belt or whatever. And then Sean says, okay, well, I'm not going to do the same for you. If you believe Brett's version of that, then hell no. Like what? You know what I mean? If the guy's going to look me dead in the face and tell me he doesn't care if I get injured or not and would never drop the belt to me, then go fuck yourself in Canada or Ireland or any other country. Go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? So those two things make me go, oh, well, Brett's totally in the right here. And then every single thing else about the business or tradition, which sounds like such a small word, but in this industry, it's a huge word. Yeah. You know? Um, Mm -hmm. So it is for all those reasons, because I said, I'm not going to leave you with a non-answer. In the end here now today, I would say, I still think Brett's in the right overall. I, I, because of the caveat, I do believe he would have dropped the belt before leaving. I don't think there's any earth where Bret Hart walks onto nitro with the, with the winged eagle. Uh, I would, you know, I agree with you on, on that aspect of it. Cause if, especially if you've watched wrestling with shadows, like that's told from Brett's perspective, essentially the documentary crew was following him around. And it just happened to be when he was doing that transition. Uh, and, and you can become very sympathetic. You hear him talking like he wants to stay right. in WWF. Like he's willing to yeah. take a price cut. He's, he's, yep. he's trying to stay and, and Vince pushes him out. Uh, and so, yeah, if you see that, you know, totally sympathetic with Brett, but then if you see other stuff like 
Cornette talking about like the backstage heat and him and Michaels getting into fights and all that kind of stuff yeah. and arguing and everything, it, you know, yeah, I mean it's it's a tough tough call to make. Yeah. All right, I want to back up for just one second back to one something you said, Russ. You said you didn't think that Brett would be legally allowed to be on Nitro the next night. Do you? Yeah honestly think their live show that Bischoff would have gave a gave a damn and not just paid the fine I mean think of well do do I think Bischoff would have cared no but I think Brett would have cared I don't think Brett would have done it hmm I mean and again we're talking in now the screw job doesn't happen right you know what I mean there's okay and that's another thing too so the screw job did happen let me put it that way the screw job did happen and Brett still wasn't on Nitro the night, night after yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, the plan was for him to come in the next month in December. Yeah. That yeah. was always the plan. That was, you know, Bischoff had talked with McMahon about that. It, that was the setup for, I believe, Starcade, like going into Starcade. Mm-hmm. Right. And isn't Brett that, Schoen. that's part of Brett's argument, right? Is that he had like time to work with to drop the belt in another way other than just to Sean in Canada. Yeah. He would right? am I wrong? That's no, part of yeah. Brett's argument, right? Brett wanted yeah. to show up the next night, give a farewell speech and just hand it over. And Vince is yeah. like, no, that's for lack of a better word. Wussy. We're not doing that. Put your shoulders to the mat, stare at the lights, one, two, three, and get out of here. Yeah. And plus they had just done that in February. Like I said, you know, Sean had, forfeited the title they can't do that a second time within a year yeah you can't have an epidemic of smiles being lost <laughs> yeah you know that's I mean? true all right speaks to a water company problem yeah. all right i'm going to come back one last time to what you about brett appearing on nitro mm-hmm. hypothetically screw job happens we all know what happened the next night vince came on tv and made himself the biggest heel in history and changed wrestling history if if brett comes and shows up on nitro the next night lawyers be damned does history i'm not saying wcw would still be around but does it maybe not pull the needle as far back in vince's favor i I would say no like WCW's problem was it, its corporate structure. Like it was beholden to to Time Warner at the oh, time, okay. and then okay, that's the AOL about so so. I mean, it's because no, no, no. That's not WCW was was still successful. Is what I'm saying. Are, are you talking about the like the folding of WCW in general? No, just, no, no. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking like would they still be around? Would they? Have, they may have still went out of business. I just mean the overall. They were leading in the ratings. But soon, this really just shot the needle back the other direction because this created Vince, Vince, and I mean, you can say, uh, does this yes not it, pull it back that far? It, it's kind of difficult to say because, uh, again, like their their structure, their booking, just they had their own backstage politics that totally like the the, the botch with Starcade and, and everything like that. They they had their own problems. Uh, I, I really couldn't say whether or not, you know, their run at the top of the Monday Night Wars would have would have ended any sooner or would have been delayed. Uh, because, I mean, this is, 
I mean, yeah, this is the beginning of the Attitude Era for WWF. This is mm. a changing. We're way. I mean, we're a year. No, it, it what? Well, no, it had started, but this really cements everything. This is you know Vince the evil heel CEO and everything. This really pushes that D Generation X is about to start hitting its stride. Uh, and those, you know, and the popularity of Stone Cold, which is already running like a freight train, you know, those are really the things that define the Attitude Era, at least for me. Uh, so I, I think a lot of that was already on the way. Uh, Vince becoming a heel is definitely a game changer, yes. Uh, I think he became, of course, the greatest heel to work off of Stone Cold. I mean, Stone Cold was already popular, but running against Vince... Dude, that was money. Agreed. What do you think, Arnold? Now, this would be a little tough. And because honestly, when you said that, I was thinking the same thing with the backstage politics and whatnot, even going on in WCW at the time. And, you know, going in there, you got to think of what was going on there at the time, like who the top guys were. Not saying that Brett wouldn't have jump right in there or would not have jumped right in there but it kind of makes me wonder where he would fit in that environment at the time If well thinking in terms of storylines because I mean a lot of those guys knew him you know they'd wrestled WWF and territories and things like that before but um, it's one of those things where you know if you've got groups of guys going up against the NWO you think, okay, we can throw bread in here, maybe. But where would he fit? Because that's where all your top guys are for the most part now. They're feuding with someone or the entire group of the NWO. Plus, they're Sean's boys anyway. Yeah. A lot of them. It's so lit. there's that to consider. Yeah. And we know who was running things in the locker room in 97. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell, though, just – well, based on what we got in this timeline. And Arnold makes a great point. I mean, look at how they used Brett when he got there. Or didn't. That, yeah, that's exactly, exactly what my yep. point was going to be, though. I was just waiting for a chance to jump in on that because, <laughs> I, first of all, I, I first of all, I totally get your point, Drew. Like, how do you not just say, fuck it, we're going to pay whatever fines we have to and open Nitro with this guy, you know, the night after uh, of, of uh, the screw job, right? But then look look at the ridiculous you have arguably one of the hottest guys you could have come into your company and go nearly any way you want to with him and have huge storyline and instead i mean we're not here to critique that whole thing but the ridiculousness of the way that bret hart was booked in wcw like i don't think it matters when they had him on the air if they were going to misuse him in that way to, to, you know maybe maybe they would have got a ratings bump that night but Nobody's sticking around for those storylines. You're, you're seeing now in AEW what WCW is doing back then. They were writing a lot of big checks and getting a lot of good big names and then had absolutely no idea what to do with them. Yep. You couldn't be any further away from a lie. Nah, that is definitely the truth. <laughs> Spend all this money. So-and-so is all elite. Okay, what are they doing now? <laughs> yeah, big intro and then nothing afterwards. Bad booking. Yeah. 
very bad. And too heavy of a roster. Yep. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you they brought in the hottest wrestler on the planet in Bret Hart. I mean, there's no doubt. He was it, the biggest. And they made him a referee for his first interest, introduction to the company. And even, I don't even think there's a debate there either. Like, you can look back historically and be like, oh, well, Stone Cold was super over and Sean was super over and all those things. Yeah, within the wrestling community, sure. Bret Hart was a person who was making headlines outside of the wrestling bubble for the first time in a very long time. Yeah. And so this guy was a name where if he had shown up on the competition, if you knew nothing about wrestling, if you hadn't watched it since the days of George, the animal steel, and you know, nothing about wrestling, you would be like, wait, isn't that, that dude's like the WWF guy, right? Like, why is he over there? You know what I mean? Like enough to pique your interest at least, you know, and the guy with the pink trunks. Yeah. yeah, Like, holy shit. I don't know how you mismanage somebody as poorly as WCW mismanaged Bret Hart, but I, I mean, we get, talk for four hours at least on that topic alone. <laughs> I, to, to get us back to the match i i'd want to when we talk about the actual match itself like the actual match at at SummerSlam or SummerSlam survivor series one thing i want to point out because i made a couple of notes here that i thought were interesting so from the time that they show sean's dressing room door which to me i feel is like the start of the thing right like when mm-hmm. they first show hunter outside sean's dressing room door until the moment they go off the air the whole ordeal it's 29 minutes, 35 seconds of that seven minutes and 39 seconds is entrances. So you, you've already, you've already knocked this down. Almost, almost a full 10 minutes off of this is just people getting to the ring. Okay. Then between that seven minutes and 39 seconds. And when the bell actually gets rung for this match to be a match is 15 minutes and 30 seconds. So the actual match that has caused everybody just to talk for, you know, 25 years and us to be talking tonight, the actual match itself is, you know, under 15 minutes of time from when the bell rings to when they, when the whole pay-per-view even goes off the air. But there's, there's what, like seven or eight minutes there of them fighting around the ring and outside. Right. Yeah. In between. Yeah. 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 The entrance is still getting your, your entertainment. They just haven't rung the bell. Right, but well, my yeah. point is that there's so many different ways that I feel like maybe were thrown out there ahead of time of how this could have ended that they kind of mismatched it all up and were like, yeah. I don't know, let's do a bunch of those things. Like that's what I get from the way it happens is maybe a bunch of things that were thrown out is like, well, here's a possibility of how we could end it. Just got thrown out there as like, oh, let's do it this way, you know. And the, the other thing that I notice is, and I want to know if anybody else either notice this or maybe I'm on an island about this. I feel like King and JR were told that the end of this match was that Brett was going to get DQ'd. And the reason why I say that is because if you go back and you just listen to the commentary, Brett and, uh, or I'm sorry, both JR and King mentioned Brett getting DQ'd like every two minutes. Yeah. They want to keep it fresh in your mind. That was the, um, yeah, the, what well, you want to, for lack of a better word, advertised finish to the boys, the match was Owen and Bulldog come out and then trips and Rick Rude China. come out yeah. and China and just a big fracas. Uh, Hebner can't gain any traction and it's either called a DQ or just a no contest to be done with it. And then yeah. 
he comes tomorrow and drops the belt like he thought he was going to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something besides the look on Brett's face uh, that I noticed like in the moment, the commentary is something I noticed way after. Like when I went back, you know, to watch it again, I was like, man, everybody involved in this thought for sure this was a Schmas finish. You know? Now, uh, no, that, but the, the, the pay per view itself was what, like 15 minutes short. Yeah. You know, and they cut off like right as Michaels is leaving. Like all the stuff we saw later of like Brett like smashing the monitors or doing WCW there. That was cut. I mean, they were off there before that ever happened. Yeah. You know, so that I mean that that's one of those things that that makes people question on whether it was a work or a shoot too. I mean, it could go either way depending on how you're wanting to set that up, but it will get it, it definitely sits in people's minds. That something's off. We'll get to that point here in a few. Yeah. But I want to come back to what Russ said about the announcing. I think... I don't want to say JR knew. I don't think he knew the finish. But I think he knew that something was up. Because if the way I listened to him, it was he was just... He wasn't JR. He was... Uns- he For the first time I think I've ever listened to JR he was unsure of exactly what was going on. And I know that the announcers usually don't know the finishes and that's fine. I mean, I'm not saying that he just, I mean, he knew the situation. He was what the head of talent relations at the time. He knew the situation. He knew what was at stake. He just was so, he just, to me, and if I'm out in left field here, call me on it. He just seemed so unsure and not, as confident as I guess the word I was trying to say in his calls is just yeah. come across to me that mm-hmm. he, he, I'm not like, again, I will say, I'm not calling out Jr. saying he knew the finish, but he knew something screwy was about to go down. Yeah. I would agree with that. He knew he's known yeah. events just about as long as anybody in the company. He, he knew what something was up and yeah, I will also, you also have to remember that you know they've got somebody in production in their ear that whole time, yeah, leading them on what to say, and so that could also be a part of it. Is there was confusion from backstage on on how to present this? Well, Bruce Pritchard would have been in his ear, and he swears up and down he didn't have a clue what was going on. And I I tend to believe I, him quick, on that. Quick question on that point: Was Bruce Pritchard's lips moving when he said that? Well, that's true. Okay, that, because I, it, because it is my experience that when Bruce's <laughs> lips are moving, sometimes lies come out. I kind of tend to believe Bruce when he says he didn't, because I think Vince kept this really, really close. Well, I also think though that there's a certain amount of people in that. Like I, me personally, I think the only person in the building who truly thought he wasn't going to get screwed over was Brett. I think, I think Brett never saw it coming. I think every single person in there was probably saying to someone else by the water cooler, you know, something Vince is going to pull some shit, right? You know what I mean? Like I think every single person in that building who works for the WWF said to someone else that night, you know, Brett's uh, Vince is going to pull some shit, right? I think but, Brett. I think Brett was literally the only person who was blindsided by it. I I don't think anybody else knew exactly how Vince was going to fuck this up or fuck uh, Brett over. But I think that literally everybody expected it except for Brett. 
Well, again, it depends on who you believe because there's a lot of talk that you know people backstage were warning Brett, don't let him get in you in a submission move. Yeah, yeah, you I've know, heard that stay too. away from this, stay away from that. So, but at the same time, those are stories that come after the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I really, mm-hmm. what I believe, there was three people in that arena that knew going in what was going to happen. That was Vince McMahon, Sean, Sean. Well, four. I forgot Sean, Vince, Sean, Pat Patterson, and Gerald Briscoe. I really do think that I'm by ahead of time. What are you talking? You talking like, uh, because I'm, I'm convinced that Earl knew as soon as he went through the ropes, I'm convinced Earl knew. Oh, I'm talking like either earlier that day, maybe the day before I'm not, I I know Earl knew during the match. I'm talking Vince told, this is what I'm going to do. This is what's going to happen. Yeah, I can see that because I can't remember. I think it was Cornette might've told the story. Or somebody, I can't remember who it was, where the night before Vince sent Briscoe to his Sean's hotel room to show him how to put on whole the sharpshooter. And yep. some basic when you do this, he's gonna jump up and beat your ass. Here's somehow to defend yourself because I mean Sean can fight off a bar full of Marines, but he ain't gonna fight off Bret Hart. <laughs> right <laughs> but i really do think pat and briscoe knew i mean everybody knows them as the stooges but behind the scenes they were yeah that's a whole especially, different especially yeah. patterson patterson was vince's right hand right hand man for years yep and i think maybe slaughter knew too because i think he was kind of there as a buffer for vince because I mean, he 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 kind of gets in between uh, Vince and Brett, and also after the fact, like him and Patterson were locked in in Vince's office. So yeah, I'm not sure. Patter- Patterson may have knew. I don't think he knew. Knew Vince might have said, "Come out here. We might need you know." There, I think everybody had a, this was going to blow up. I think maybe a couple of them were there to be almost outside enforcers. Keep the peace, not start a, a legit brawl on pay-per-view, which God, that would have been insane. I don't know if Pat I don't know if Sergeant Chin would have known. I don't know. Maybe. I mean we can speculate everybody, but I really just think it was. Well, I didn't see any. I didn't see any uh, squeegees out there to uh, <laughs> uh, get the ring cleaned up after he was yeah. spitting everywhere. So they weren't expecting Slaughter to be involved. Uh, all right. Um, so let's move on to the next point. We've all seen Dark Side of the Ring, and we all know that there's what one, two, or at least what three people who claim to this was my idea. I did it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes, go on. Who do we believe? Well, you know, I, I guess if we're, if we're going to talk about that, I guess it's time for me to come out and tell you guys. Uh, I also, this was also my idea. Uh, I didn't work. I didn't um, work for WWF at the time. I, I'd never met Vince Russo. I didn't know Ed Ferrara. I've never been in the same room with Vince McMahon. But what I do want to tell you guys is, it was definitely my idea. This was this was my idea. I went to Vince through a friend, and I told him, 
Yeah, this is definitely the way you want to do this. So world exclusive. Now you know who it was that, that came up with the <laughs> breaking the screw job on the podcast. Here's awesome. my th- here's my question. In all sincerity, do you want to be the guy that's known for coming up with this? Then no. Now, yeah. Yeah, after Brett schooled off after 20 some odd years. <laughs> yeah, that's he... exactly <laughs> exactly. I mean, dude, this caused a lot of real world hurt and pain. All right, let's. I'm not go- just talking about Brett. I'm talking about a lot of people, man. I'm talking about Sean. Like, and I, no one's ever gone down the path of trying to defend Sean Michaels in 1997, but I'm about to do it. Like, the amount of like mental anguish and pain that that guy probably put himself through when you know, like later on after he became a more improved human being, like I bet a lot of that guilt and stuff, crushing guilt, and that comes back from like not only being the world's biggest asshole that he was at the time, but openly going along with stuff like this and thinking it was cool. You know, oh, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. I mean, and I've, you got to think of too on top of that. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. I've talked enough. I was going to say, you got to think too on top of that. Look at some of the other, and I hate to do it, but we're going to use this term lightly. Main eventer Sean was going up against when Brett was out. Yeah. And we're talking after Hall and Nash packed their bags there in Atlanta. Brett took a year off. Michaels is your top guy, but you got him going up against Baby Boy Smith. Or you got Sean versus Vader. Sean versus Sid. Like, these are people who the casual WWF fan weren't really aware of at the time. No. Unless they watched Vader's running WCW or that one random weirdo in your neighborhood who watched Eastern wrestling. Um, (laughs) Sid is another one. You you may know who he is if you're an older fan, but you know, if you're like my age at the time, I was like, Hey, I don't know who psycho Sid is. You're like, that's the guy that has half the brain that I do. But at the same time, because he did get the belt a year uh, or not a year, but a month from Sean after Sean won it at WrestleMania 12, and was more popular of a champion than Sean was at the time. That's yeah. true. Like when Sean does his "I lost my sp- smile" speech, you hear the the audience chanting for two people, Brett and Sid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder, though, as a company, it's kind of like I feel like Vince was. Kind of losing control of his boys backstage. And you Shawn think? Michaels, I feel like, was the living embodiment of that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go back to my original question we skirted around. I'm going to I'm gonna put out three names. <laughs> you tell me who you think it was. Jim, Russo, or Pritchard? Jason, whose idea was it? <clears throat> I mean, it's difficult to say, you know, Cornette's story fits with Cornette. I mean, he knows wrestling history back and forth. And for him to pull out, well, there was a Montreal screw drop in 1930, whatever. I mean, that makes sense. And Russo just not caring about the business and just, you know, we'll, we'll just take it. That, I mean, that sounds like Russo. Hold on, uh, hold on. There was no strippers, no hookers. No- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I was not even, there was not even one person on a pole. <laughs> who does anybody in the right mind thinks in for a second he could have come up with this oh i don't think he does i like i said i just think it, it jives with you know how disrespectful he is of oh, the that, that i'll give you yeah 
Yeah. I'll, uh, answer, I'll answer that the way I answer any question about uh, Vince Russo, which is, bro, <laughs> this is the only way he, talk, he answers any question. But I'm sorry, Jason, go on. I, I just, for clarity's sake, I'm pretty much sure I'm going to be like, yeah, what Jason said, because I'm, uh, I'm agreeing with you totally so far, but go on. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it mostly the, the person you give it to is Vince. I think maybe everyone gave a bit of an idea to him, but uh, it, Vince is the one you have to give the full responsibility to for this. No one else. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. Arnold? That's a fair point because it's one of those things, yeah, who are we to tell the great Vincent Kennedy McMahon what's going to go on in his company? <laughs> but um, I, I, I got to go Cornette. And so Jason brought up a good point because it's like Vince Russo, yeah, there wasn't enough Russo-esque storyline elements nobody was on a pole nobody was doing something with someone else's wife or there wasn't cloudy you know none of that was out there i mean well i mean could have made a case for china back then but um i digress yeah and i don't know it just seems a little I mean, Cornette kind of knows what he's talking about. I could see him being like, well, just in case this happens, we should probably do this. And Vince is like, well, we can do that, but we're going to do it like this. You can do it the Vince way. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> my point on timekeeper. My point on, let's say, hypothetically, this was Russo's idea. He came up with it. That would be like Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel and for the rest of his life drawing stick figures and crayons. Right. There's no way in hell (laughs) this was his idea. The controversial savant. savant. Here's here's the one thing I want to throw at this because first of all, my my extremely short answer is Cornette. I think Cornette came up with this, but I think as a father of a 17-year-old son, I can tell you and anybody who's ever had a child, you know you go through that phase where you have to make your kids think it was their idea to get them to do something. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I think, I think to this day, and certainly back then, if you're going to get Vince McMahon to come up with, to take any of your ideas, you have to convince him that they were his idea. Yeah, I, I, but I totally see that. Right. So I think Cornette was like, you know, like, uh, like Jason said, you know, like, Oh, history lesson, blah, 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 blah. You know, whatever else did the whole thing. And then he was like, Oh man, Vince, that was a great idea you came up with. And I bet Vince was like, Oh, dear God almighty, you're right. You know what I mean? Like, I think that like <laughs> Cornette probably said it. Cornette probably said it, convinced Vince it was his idea, and then Vince went around and told everybody it was his idea. I, I that's how I feel. I bet that's the ultimate truth of it. I I can absolutely see that, but I'm gonna agree. I believe this was Cornette's idea. It just fits too perfectly of he knows his history, he knows his finishes. There, I mean, Vince could Vince come up with this? Yeah, sure. Pritchard, not his style. Uh, yeah, shit stain, not a chance in hell. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I I agree. I think this was this was Cornette. All right, so that's going to bring us to probably what? Uh, yeah, probably our final topic for the night, and. I've been holding it because I hate to talk about it. 
I'm, I, this won't be our final one. I got one after it because I can't leave this one last because it'll leave such a bad taste in my mouth. And we've, we've hinted at it. We've talked about it a little bit, but let's just dive right into it. Shoot or work? Oh, I shoot all day. I will, you will never convince me this was a work ever. And I know people say otherwise. And then there's even people that go, Oh, I can't believe you with all you know about wrestling. You really think, yep. Yep. I really think this will shoot all the way. Yeah. I think Brett was legitimately pissed about this for the yep. longest time. Uh, you know, I think that goes beyond kayfabe because as we saw like the night after he was willing to break kayfabe to, to go down or to, to push down McMahon and how he treated him and all that kind of stuff. I don't think Brett would ever agree to do that as part of a work. Yep. Agreed. 100%. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's where I'm at there. Um, there's, I feel like too much riding on that for it to be a work. And this is one of those things at the same time. It's just like, well, who would have the most to gain out of this? You know, Vince gets to keep his belt. You know, don't have to worry about it mysteriously ending up on Nitro for some strange reason. Um, Shawn Michaels, I guess, gets his way, kind of. He's got the belt back. That's good, right? Um, Vince goes on to become the biggest heel in the company since sliced bread. Um. You've got this bald dude from Texas on a meteoric rise up to star power. And uh, think about where Stone Cold's at. He needs a heel. Sean's not the guy. We've seen that. Brett's gone. Who else but the boss? Taker. So, good point. So, Drew, I don't know. You said you had one more point, but I kind of have something I want to throw out uh, as well. Absolutely. Okay, based on what Arnold said, here's the thing. A lot of people now say, you know, which is true. Vince became the Mr. McMahon character, right? Because of the Brett screwed Brett moment. I don't think Vince McMahon, I don't think there was a master plan. I think Brett, I think Vince McMahon thought he was going to get on Raw and go, Brett screwed Brett and have the fans be like, yeah, Brett's the worst. I don't think his plan was to make himself into a heel. No, 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 not at all. Jim Jim Ross has discussed this at length. Yeah, that Vince thought wholeheartedly he was going to be the baby face coming out of this. Right. Yeah. So what, that's why I say I don't think there was a master plan there for him to become the the big heel to Stone Cold. Oh no! I, it, no. it just so okay. I I guess I didn't have that big of a point that I thought we were going to discuss yes. that some, but no, uh, somebody was smart enough to go, "Hey, we can use this. This makes money." Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. if you look at that interview he did with Jr., like it is completely him trying to sell. Brett down the river right. while at the same time trying to, to maintain this magnanimous and, and he just comes off as a sociopath and it's not deliberate on his part. Right. Like that he just, just he can't help himself. You know? Oh. And yeah, you know, yeah, he just did. Yeah. And, he, just and he had he had nothing to gain by that. Like it, that was all happenstance that, that happened. Because I mean if if it was a work, what was he getting out of it? Because his top guy is now going to his competition with more, you know, fan support behind him than if he would have just dropped the belt and left. Right. 
I, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to insinuate earlier that I thought this was Vince's master plan. The whole Mister McMahon. No, no, no. I'm just no. dispelling yeah. the people who do think it's that. Oh, yeah. This wholeheartedly shoot. There's no way you could like. I believe to his credit, Bruce Pritchard said in on Dark Side of the Ring, you couldn't script this. There's no, no way you could script this. It's a Hollywood movie, and it's too. Per- it's a perfect movie. It's the perfect storm. Everything fell right into place and worked out exactly the way it needed to. That just was there. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, Vince comes on TV the next day. Is I think that's the only time. I, yeah, I will go ahead and say, I think that is the only time with a camera in his face where we really got to see the actual 100% Vince McMahon. I don't think that was in character acting. I think that was Vince McMahon. And even like the when Vince comes out after somebody passes away, I don't think that's Vince because I don't think Vince has that much of a heart. I still think yeah. that's acting. This sociopathic, wide-eyed, I'm going to hold Brett down and not only throw him under the bus, I'm going to back it over him a couple of times. I think that's Vince. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. No, most, most definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it, it is so, I don't know if you ever saw the, like the HBO documentary on the Iceman, the, the mob hitman who, you know, the, <laughs> they're like interviewing him and talking to him. And he's like, at one point he's trying to make a tear come down his face to seem more <laughs> sympathetic and he can't do it. This is, this is Vince's ice man moment. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he's, he's got his black eyes still there. You can see a little bit of that. And he's showing the footage of Brett destroying the monitors and everything, just trying to, to sell it. But he just, he can't do it. He cannot cross that line. Yeah, he can't. He can't drag it across. And all right, I know. I know we've kind of all pounded on this point, but like, imagine being that guy sitting there in that moment, saying those things, literally thinking like, "The whole world is going to love me." You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Imagine being that <laughs> that that delusional. You know, yeah, the sad thing is, yeah. yeah, the sad thing is, like, he's making a good point. It's like the, the tradition is, <laughs> yeah. you're supposed to drop the belt. It's just the way he's making it is totally. As I was say, to your point, it's like, how are you kind of right, and but present yourself so very wrong? Yeah, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, and I'm behind you on that. But you're yeah. still an asshole. Yeah, I don't like you. Right. <laughs> okay, I imagine if Google were a thing, Vince McMahon sitting there, you know, maybe 30 minutes before Raw on Google saying, "Okay, how do I gaslight tens of thousands of people?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Shot. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this question. If Michael Cole comes out and interviews Jim Ross, Jim Ross says exactly the same things as Vince McMahon. Does it come across and we all hate Brett Tuesday morning? No. No? I think I think Jim Ross would do a lot better job of it that you might not hate Brett, but you would understand Vince's side of it. Uh, that's that's really what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 I, I, I do think, yes, I, I do think the pill goes down a lot easier if JR's out there. That's a fair point because you could kind of be like, wow, yeah, he's right. Brett, that was kind of a dick move, man. Yeah. You I mean, it's JR, to- the voice <laughs> right. of wrestling. 
Yeah. Vince just can't relate to humans at all. <laughs> I mean, ain't that, ain't that the God's truth, man? I, like, I, I will go to my deathbed believing with all my heart that Vince McMahon, Jeff Bezos, Adam Silver, and Mark Zuckerberg are aliens from another planet that have no idea what emotions are. Very well could be. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> They just crawled into human they're... skin and somehow became rich. But yeah, they're like, rep- they're like they're like reporting back to the home planet. They're like, watch this shit. Let's see how they react to this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. so my last point on this whole um, worker worker shoot, and I think the most famous of the, I think it was a work, was rest in peace, love him in the ring with Scott Hall, and yeah. and on the dark side of the ring, he's like. Watch this. If if uh this wasn't a, if this was a shoot, would they be showing him doing WCW like Jason said earlier? It was already off the air. But that okay, in Scott Hall's defense, that's revisionist history. People, yeah. that's like Mandela effects. People remember yeah. that happening that night, and it didn't. Yeah, because after Vince bought WCW, like he could show that part now because it right. it makes him more money. And the yeah. only, and his other thing was this guy just spit in Vince's face. Are you going to tell me Vince would allow that to be? Vince was standing there. He can't yeah, tell yeah. the kid. <laughs> That's what's happening See, in yeah. the ring. Whoever's the producer backstage saying camera one, zoom in, whatever, running that. Yeah. So we, you know, and that's another point too. And, and I'm with you exactly. When I watched that dark side of the ring, I was like, oh, Scott, come on. You know, like with a lot of things he was saying. And, like we've all seen Vince take a stunner. We know he can't do it. Right. But Vince has some of the best reactions in the business. Like with his whole, like, you know, uh, reeling back from the smallest thing when, uh, when he's standing up, the stunner is the only thing he screws up. Right. Mm-hmm. If that was a work and he got shot, you think he would sit there and do that? My God almighty. I want to murder this man. The slow way he pulls that yeah. out of his eye. He would have flopped back onto the barrier. Yep. And been like, you know, he would have done a Shawn Michaels oversell. Yeah, it would have been a a Michaels Hogan thing. Yeah, (laughs) you know, uh, there's just no way when he when he gets spit on, he's like, all right, I deserve that. Yeah, (laughs) that was that was exactly what I was gonna say. He knew right there, had that coming, and not only did he have that coming, but backstage, the old knuckle sandwich. Uh, yeah. And there was people here to witness the witness it. So it's not just Brett saying he did it. Brett uppercuts yeah. he knocks him off of his feet and yeah. knocks him out cold. And I don't think Vince had one bit of malice toward him for that ever. He knew he earned it. But yeah, I'll give mm-hmm. I'll give credit to Vince where Vince is due. He walked in there like a man and knew he was going to take it. He knew well, he, uh, he did what he. Yeah. To, to Vince's credit, Vince did kind of do what he had to do. Uh, uh, but it depends on the stories. Again, uh, there's a lot of stories saying that, you know, Mark Calloway, Undertaker, like banged on his office door and says, no, you've got to straighten this out with Brett now. I mean, there was, uh, again, you know, if this was a work, it was a terrible work because the, the locker room almost revolted on him. Yeah, That's yeah. true. Yep. Mick Foley doesn't show up to work tomorrow night. Yeah, the next Monday. And, you know, got to give credit to Bret Hart on this because a lot of guys, do we boycott Raw now? It's like, no, you you go and you make your money. Yep. You know, you're, you're contractually obligated. You you keep doing your job. Yep. Yep. 
I I agree. All right. I think we might have beat that one into the ground. So I'll tell you what, though, man. Shoot. To the credit of y'all uh, and myself to a certain extent, as I said, I've seen and heard every piece of media on this, and I do think we touched on a lot of nuanced stuff that I haven't seen discussed much. Like, yeah, of course, we talked about stuff that is that always gets talked about, but I feel like we yeah. talked about a lot of nuanced type stuff that doesn't get brought up in this discussion a lot. So this uh, has been a lot of fun for me. Yeah, and I think something that, that also probably needs to be added that it also is looked over is with Sean. I mean, he's he's real, at this point, he's real big into a substance abuse and, and mental health stuff. So I, I yeah. think when we look back on that, we need to take that into consideration as well. That is yep. true. I will say the best thing that ever came out of this was I will go down believing is that this moment four years later five years later i think it was 2005 maybe led to the biggest pop in an arena i have ever seen or ever heard and it was they come back they have a it's when sean comes back and i believe he i don't know if he's wrestling or commissioner whatever he's just there and they are in montreal so he comes out to a pretty loud bunch of booze yeah, and starts cutting a promo on Bret Hart. And then all of a sudden, halfway through it, Bret's music hits and who hasn't been seen since this night. And oh my God, that is the biggest pop I have ever heard in a crowd. Like it's not even people will say, we'll see him punk coming back to AEW. Nope. Not even close. That was, that was big. Yeah, the fake the fake out they pulled with Brett coming back in Montreal was insane. I mean, it makes the Road Warrior pop sound like a cricket. And then (laughs) for it to be fake, I mentioned uh, something just very quick, and I want to be clear before I start this: this is not even this is not in a discussion about a discussion about the how big the pop is that you just had, but something uh, that happened was uh, so with that one that you're talking about, they did it twice the fake out twice in that same promo. Right. And so I went to raw a couple of weeks ago and Trish was in the ring and they did the thing where Becky, Becky Lynch's music hit. Cause she had been gone off TV for like a month and uh, Trish redid the same thing as Sean, like the, Oh, you guys are such idiots. Right. <laughs> but that, but then they did the music again and the whole arena was like, Oh Jesus Christ, this is the Sean Brett thing. Right. But then Lynch showed really up in the out. ring and beat the That's shit out good. of her the second time. Yeah. So That's good. like all of us did not expect to see Becky Lynch, but it was cool that instead of just doing a rerun of it, they did it once. And then the second time Becky Lynch actually showed up. Oh, you know? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But again, I'm not even saying it's even in a discussion about a discussion about that pop. I'm just saying it was something similar. <laughs> oh yeah. That occurred. Well, I think it shows how big of a moment that was that they're yeah, yeah. referencing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they like the they like the '97 Survivor Series so nice. They did it a couple of times after that too. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's anybody have any? Let's just do some final thoughts here. Um, this is a big night. I think that's an understatement. And like Russ said, we've touched on some things. I could probably go and talk about this for another two hours and still not. I mean, there's things we didn't even talk talk about. Online. Yeah. We spent a lot of time on Brett. We didn't spend a whole lot of time on Sean and but I mean like I said we can go for another two hours and go through everybody that was involved yeah. 
Again, you get into dark territory with Sean at that point. See, yeah, yeah. I was going to say with Sean, it's a lot more delicate topic because this wasn't a guy who was doing anything because of the business or anything like that. You know, you'd almost have to find a way to have a delicate talk about various substance abuse issues. You know what I mean? So you can't, can't really True. throw that in too much into the discussion. Well, I mean, we barely touched on Hebner. I mean, there's just so much you can go over with this. The the planning, the it's. I don't want to get into it because I want to go down that rabbit hole, but we can't tonight. But um, like I said earlier in the, the beginning, this was the last thing that I never saw. I started watching wrestling the next night. This got me into it because two kids sitting behind me in science class were discussing it. That's all. That's all it took for me. So, yeah, I was sitting in eighth grade science class. I'll tell you the. Final thought that I want to share on this is, is that, you know, whenever people, cause of course, you know, my whole life I've dealt with the whole, you know, it's fake, right? Which uh, I've, I've always been like, Hey, you know, none of the people that you watch in any of the movies you've ever seen it were shot for real. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's been my reply since I was a little kid. You mean the talking tree and raccoon aren't real? <gasps> Can you even believe it? But what I've always talked to people about is there's so much more that goes on in the world of professional wrestling there's so much more nuance and whatnot that people don't even for every Katie Vick, there is 10 different things, maybe with not with the impact of the the screw job, but so much, so many different things to know about people's backgrounds and companies and, and careers and, and families and, and histories and stuff. Right. And the screw job is one of those things. The reason why we've been talking about it for this long is because it, it, it's such a wealth. So I feel like even the most staunch, like, Oh, it's not real guy if you sat down and tried to explain some of the nuance of this three hours later they'd be like okay now tell me who triple h is again you know what i mean like they the most staunch i don't want anything to do with the rest of the guy this situation is interesting enough to where you could be explaining it to him you know hours later and then that's gonna lead to them being like okay now what's the deal with this guy i heard of this guy once or we you know what i mean and so if nothing else i feel like situations like this are what keep it the industry interesting for me, the things we, no matter how, how grizzled and uh, of a fan we are, how much we think we know, there's almost always something going on that's not, you know, like the whole industry is a sleight of hand, you know? And for me, that keeps it very interesting. Yeah. It's like watching the magician, you know, that they, they're not actually magic, but how they fool you and how they pull you in, like, that's the entertainment part yep. of it. Agreed. Yeah. Exactly right. 100%. Look at this. I mean, either way it goes, work, shoot, Canada or Japan. If it weren't for this moment, I mean, this podcast wouldn't be called this. It'd probably be called the, I don't know. I can't think of the stars. (laughs) It'd be called Across the Stars. Yeah. Uh, yeah, This this resurrects WWF at the time because. Yeah. Like I said, this, you know, Attitude Era was starting, but this cements the Attitude Era. This pushes it full in. You look at the Survivor. I mean, the entrance to Survivor Series is the same entrance that they've been using for two years. For every pay-per-view, they just slap a different face on the front of it. And then you look at, you know, where that led, like how, I mean, even just Raw itself, just the presentation and everything changed. Because people started getting interested in it again. 
because they didn't know if it was a work or a shoot, and they were interested in seeing what was happening next. Well, I mean, even at this point, we didn't really know what a work was totally yet. The internet wasn't a thing. Yeah, there was certain people who knew, but 99% of anybody watching this had no idea that it was... They, they might not know the terminology, but like I say, if you grew up watching wrestling or just, you know, because wrestling was a lot more prominent in territory days than it is now, you know, there was always the, well, you know, it's fake or, you know, yeah, they're not really hurting each other. No, it is. It's real. They're, they're beating the crap out of, there was always that debate. And so when something like this blurs that line, it, it just draws everyone in. Yeah, that's, yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, I think we're going to end on that because it's getting late. It's 80 degrees in this room. I'm sweating. I feel like Brett and Sean underneath the microscope. It's getting hot in here. Whew. <laughs> oh, I would do want to point out one thing. I don't know if anybody other than me went back and rewatched this. If you go back to, you know, the part where Vent or Brett spits on Vince. If you turn your volume all the way up at about five seconds after that, you can hear tires squealing, and that's Earl Hebner leaving the building. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim Cornette in front of him, if yeah, you believe I was the story. Say, <laughs> yeah, isn't it Cornette? Cornette tells that story about how he, yeah. Well, you know what's funny is, is uh, Drew and, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Drew and Arnold, you guys know uh, that my wife is like new to sports entertainment, and she, the first time she saw this match, as soon as Earl hits that bell, she goes, Jesus Christ, look at him get out of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> because that little man was running for his yeah, life. Yeah. That son of a bitch <laughs> ran. And my wife, who is very new to the world of sports entertainment, the first thing she noticed was that Earl got the hell out of there. He was taking two steps toward the ropes before he ever said, bring it. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Dude's doing like a skip sideways to get out of the ring as fast as he can. Yeah. Yeah, because he had Dave. He, he said he had Dave put the stuff in the car and we're out of here. Yeah. Yep. And Dave, if you if you do it frame by frame, you'll actually see like the, the cloud outline of him <laughs> as he, <laughs> he bolts out. Yeah, it's like a wily e. coyote. He's holding yeah. on the side that just says help. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, that's all right. Let's go ahead and we're just going to end it there because again, we could sit here and do this all night, and as fun as that would be, we need some sleep and things to do and other places. But let's go ahead and let our guests do their plugs. Um, Jason, since you're the new guy on the totem pole, that's a very bad phrase, but since you're first time on here, let's go ahead and let you plug your show and all your socials and things like that. All right. Uh, I am from the Bricked Pit podcast. Uh, it is not a barbecue podcast. Uh, we talk like movies, films, and TV, stuff you don't hear on the internet a lot. Uh, but we talk more about uh, the kind of the workings, inner workings of films. We talk genres and tropes and stuff like that. Uh, Josh and I, one of my co-hosts, we were actually film students together. Uh, back in the late 90s when we were watching all this wrestling. Uh, and so we kind of bring a lot of that, and we just talk about how certain films work within these tropes or don't and stuff like that. So it's a little different. We don't actually review movies. Uh, and Adam is another one of our members that's with us, kind of the, the layperson. 
Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, the Bricked Pit Podcast. Uh, we are also, uh, I've got to remember because uh, Spotify just changed everything. Uh, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash Bricked Pit. And you can email us at brickpit at gmail.com if you're interested. All right. One thing, because I, I know when Josh was on here, he did it. But I find it fascinating, and I don't know why. Please tell us where in the hell you got the name Brick Pit Podcast from. Okay, so Josh had a co-worker <laughs> who had watched the movie 300 based off the Frank Miller graphic novel. Uh, and while watching it, you know, there's the point where Xerxes' uh, messenger comes and asks for Leonidas and the Spartans to surrender to Xerxes and Leonidas responds by kicking him into a bottomless pit. Well, as this guy was watching it, he noticed that the sides of the pit are bricked. And so he was like, who the hell bricked a bottomless pit? Why would you do that? <laughs> and so we, we coined that term to mean any like small minute thing that just breaks your suspension of disbelief and pulls you out of the movie. And like the more fantastic the setting is, the the greater that, that was because you, you will believe like half naked men are jumping 20 feet up in the air with spears and all that, <laughs> but somebody breaking a pit like that, that's it. You can't, you can't bother anymore. <laughs> so the greatest one thing, the greatest brick pit in wrestling, Vince Russo booking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd say Jim Hurd booking, but yeah, you know, it's six and one, half a dozen to the other. Well, you don't to be like honest. Robo, you don't like Robocop? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I will say I will prefer the Robocop over Chucky showing up. Oh, God. <laughs> Are you uh, suggesting that Rick Steiner didn't cut a good promo with Chucky? <laughs> Well, it's been fun, gentlemen, but I'm never coming on a show with that kind of talk ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Just Rick Steiner should do nothing but math ever. <sighs> All right. All right. I almost called you Scott for some reason. Russ, go ahead and plug your thingamajigs. Yeah, yeah. Y'all know we've been on the show a couple of times now. My wife and I do the Infectious Groove Music channel together on YouTube. So if you just go over to YouTube and type Infectious Groove Music, you'll find us. We're coming up on 2,100 subscribers on uh, YouTube, which is great for a small little independent thing. Uh, in short, you will find three videos every week that are you know five to ten minutes a piece of us just talking about all positive stuff to do with music. If we don't like an album artist or song, we just don't talk about it. We just talk about all the stuff we like. And if you like it too, great. Uh, you know, share it with us and whatnot. And so that's what we do. We got videos Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Some some more positive changes coming up to the channel soon, but for now that's what we're offering. So infectious group music over on YouTube. All right. Arnold, do you think you can remember ours? Oh man, it might take a hold on, I got it on a piece of paper here. Uh, um I know you're on location. Drew says, you know, you're on location and I, uh, no, oh, that's where I come in. Okay. Pan to Arnold. All right. That's me. You can find us on Twitter at AEWR pod. You can find us on Instagram also at AEWR pod. And, uh, we're on the, what is it? These Gen Z kids called the TikToks. We're on the TikToks now. 
And uh, I do believe we are AEWR pod over there as well. I believe so. Yes, I, I'm new to that. I don't, I'm not good with it yet, but I do po- try to post at least a clip daily. But I do believe we are AWR pod. Um, Excellent. And speaking of short yes. form videos, you can also find some of those on the YouTube's Attitude Era Wrestling Review on the YouTube. Did I forget anything? For the, uh, it's been a while. Our boomers. Oh, how can I forget the boomers? They're so entitled. Um, so if, you know, Twitter, Instagram, the TikToks or the YouTubes aren't your jam, you know, your little old fashioned you may have a rotary phone still, you can reach us on email. AEWR316 at Gmail. All right. Yeah, I've been posting at least once a day a clip from the show on on the TikToks, so I don't look at anything, so don't ask me to watch your stuff. I literally just post our thing and get off of it because I don't know how to work it because not my jam. But we're all back on Twitter. I haven't been kicked off yet. Um, Oh, my God. How have we went almost what? What time is it? We have went on almost an hour and a half, over an hour and a half, and I haven't told Disco Inferno to take it and shove it up his ass yet. <sighs> almost <laughs> forgot that. God, I hate that guy. <sighs> Anywho, all right. Well, I mean, I'll just leave it off with it's glad I'm glad to be back. Arnold, thanks for back, coming back with me. Yep. Sorry we were going for so long, folks, but you know, life, work, kids happen. I'm working six days a week about nine hours a day so that gets fun oh, and then i had two kids in softball slash baseball in two different counties and two different leagues and oh my god oh. one uh my oldest i will i will give an update oldest team went undefeated won the championship and she had a home run this year so okay go her a uh, little one finished runner up and hit a home run so anyway all right well Russ, Jason, thanks for coming. Welcome Glad to back. be here. Welcome back anytime. And I guess I get to watch stuff that I've already seen now. Hey, speaking real quick of stuff you've already seen, I think I told you this last time, but as we get into 98, 99, anytime you're coming up to a show that was in De- Detroit. Uh, around Detroit, I was there. So and you I was there for the Zamboni, guest. the Zamboni and all that business. So the time rock through uh, or uh, uh, got thrown into the Detroit River, but it was obviously not the Detroit River. All that <laughs> stuff. I was there. I was there for all that. So. <laughs> Give me a holler when you're coming up on those episodes. Will do. All right. For well, sure. Ah, uh, let's see. How do I usually take us out, Arnold? Oh yeah. All right. So for Russ and Jason, thank you for coming, and for my wonderful, beautiful co-host, the man with the vocal cords, Arnold. I am Drew, and we are on our backs, staring up at those lights. Guys, count us out. I'm just going to do it Earl Hebner style. Ring the bell, ring the bell, ring the bell. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) Says it halfway out the ring. And then have have you all too with the Brett look on your face. What the? What just (laughs) happened? Yeah. And I'll consider myself lucky y'all can't spit at me. I'll tell you what, instead of just instead of stopping the shrimps, go pick up my computer and slam it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Not really. It's already ten years old and held together with duct tape, so.
All right. Well, I guess, Arnold, we just got screwed. <laughs> Peace. No. It was a word. <laughs> hey.